the show that believes we must defund the gazpacho police. I'm Liz Winstead, and with me are my fellow buzzkills and co-conspirators, Mochi Alawodeel. Hello, everyone. And Marie Khan. Hello, folks. Thank you all for joining us. Coming up on the show, Liz sits down with musician, activist, and host of the Opus podcast, Windy City's finest, Jill Hopkins. And I will be talking with Terri Ann Thompson from Ibis Reproductive Health about the newly released Trust Black Women study. Yes, we had to do a study to convince y'all to trust Black women, but please go on about how structural racism isn't a thing. <laughs> but before we get to all that, so much BS is popping this week, and I am going to start to lay it out for you. So going to, to Colorado, a Republican congressman from, from Colorado has jumped on the pro-child tax credit bandwagon and proposed a bill that recognizes a fetus as a child and would issue some tax credits to the fetuses. Awesome, right? I mean, who doesn't support aid to expecting families? And the congressman who proposed it, Doug Lamborn, even has born in his name. So thank you, baby Jesus. Okay. Cue the sad trombone, because Doug Lamborn's bill only focuses on tax credits for a fetus, not extending the existing tax credits, like the ones stalled in the Build Back Better plan, to actual kids. So sorry, baby Jesus, Congressman Lamborn wouldn't give you a dime. Congressman Lamborn, more like Congressman Unborn. Pro tip, you always gotta read the terms of service from these uterus grifters. Look. The real point of this bill is to end abortion by establishing something called fetal personhood. See, if they can create a federal law that defines a fetus as an actual person, like defining them as a child eligible, eligible for a tax credit, they'll be able to argue that as a person, a fetus should be entitled to every right protected by the Constitution in all 50 states. And if that happens, the second a person who gets pregnant they lose all their own rights because what's inside the body has been granted constitutional rights. And what that means for abortion is that in the eyes of the law, it moves out of being a legal medical procedure and becomes a murder. Oh my gosh. And if all your rights can be shifted to a fetus, let's think about all the other ways that plays out for the erosion of your constitutional right. It's right? really insidious bills like this that make essentially every miscarriage a potential crime scene. Right. And this is simultaneous with weight with um, options like these child tax credits being garnished back immediately. If you owe on loans, if you own student loans, th these are all right for taking. So like you said, Liz, the situation, the scenario is so limited where this actually helps a living child, if even possible. That's, That's right. But just really think about when you hear about these laws, you know, when you hear about like, hey, pregnant people should be able to drive in the HOV lane. You know, that is garnering personhood and that is setting up stealing the autonomy from the person who is pregnant. You know, anytime there's a, uh, you get in a car accident, if somebody would have a miscarriage, you know, that all sets that up for a really dangerous path that really takes away the rights from those of us who are living. And since the uterus is becoming a police state, of course, 
The states are going to side with the police. And Marie has a jarring story about that that happened this week. Ugh, totally, Liz. We continue to remain disgusted at the treatment of pregnant people by the police state. Feminist buzzkill sounded the alarm last February when an off-duty Louisville Police Department officer showed up in uniform with his baby shark, shark copy car while with a hostile gun at EMW, Kentucky's only independent abortion provider. This chode then picked up a sign and joined the protesters for over an hour. He was reported, and even though what department authorities found him in violation of doing what a peace officer in Louisville is allowed to do in uniform, he felt that his right to examine the thin blue pregnancy test line was being violated. So he got help from the Thomas More Society, an aggressively anti-abortion law firm emerging from the deep, moist, fleshlight pockets of racists and misogynists to defend this Louisvillean's police stench outside the clinic. Because you know, we need to make sure all the off-duty cops who wanna show up in uniform and strapped at abortion clinics, black live marches, and gay pride parades are guaranteed their right to protest. Last week, the lawsuit results came in and we were not surprised that somehow this anti-abobo popo was awarded $75,000 because his right to protest in uniform was violated, even though it's against police company policy. I I don't get it, y'all. What, what do we think? I mean, it's terrible, terrifying. Like clinics really have no recourse but to call the cops when they need help. And this is literally like calling the coyote to watch the chickens during the, chickens during the daytime. This is like, this is universal. This is not a, a dynamic that is unique to Kentucky. You're right, Moji, you're, you're exactly correct. Also, we're, this is the time that's occurring where we're seeing rates of arrest and incarceration, especially of black and brown folks going up. This clinic in Kentucky that this officer protested outside of is one of the six black owned clinics in the country. And again, the fact that the police are there targeting, um, harassing pregnant people along with miscarriage scrutiny and harassment, these are the ones doing those arrests. Yeah, that's right. And you know, it's, this is, we were in North Carolina, uh, watched cops defend um, an aggressive protester who was literally rubbing his penis against the people who were escorting patients. Uh, we have seen cops passing out water in South Bend, Indiana at the clinic there. And in North Carolina, again, there was an instance where a protester brought a gun, the gun went off, the cops showed up, asked the protester to leave and allowed the other protesters to stay and continue protesting. So this violence is continuing and the intersections of, of the police and the anti-abortion extremists is very real. And, you know, the only way that I see it ending is not a good one because as we look ahead towards what's happening in June with Roe v. Wade probably overturning and having all of these states have laws that are going to just trigger abortion ending in their state, Kentucky's one of them. So I guess the way we have to end cops harassing people at abortion clinics is closing abortion clinics. That seems problematic. Uh, Liz, that's a terrible joke. <laughs> that's a terrible joke. Really a terrible joke. I am with you 100%. Joking, but uh, the countdown to the end of row, it has begun. And California, Illinois, DC are frantically disaster prepping for the onslaught of abortion seekers who'll be traveling there for care once Roe v. Wade falls. Texas's ban has been a real life example of what would happen if there was limited abortion access. 
and states as far as Maine and everywhere in between are reporting being overwhelmed with patients from the Lone Star State. The most abortion forward states like California and Illinois are doing all they can in anticipation of a horrible SCOTUS ruling in June. They're training more staff, they're adding clinics when possible, they're even setting up travel centers so that people who need to cross state lines to end a pregnancy have the resources to do it safely. In fact, California's governor even named his state an abortion sanctuary because clearly abortion access is a dying breed that can't reproduce in the wilds of the gerrymandered states. Listen, a handful of states expanding access simply cannot accommodate the volume of, pa of patients expected to need care. Clinics in those states are already swamped. It's not like abortion providers are just sitting around doing wordle and binging succession, hoping a patient might wander in to break up the monotony. They're providing abortions all day, every day. So what does it look like when Roe is overturned? Well, 26 states will immediately have a complete or near abortion ban on abortion. <laughs> and that means 75 million people of reproductive age will be looking for another state to get care. So I need someone to tell me how six states with only one Gavin Newsom is going to be able to handle that load. Anyone? I mean, it's, I think people need to understand the profundity that right now with Roe still in place, 87% of the counties in America are without an abortion provider. So Moji, is there, is there some kind of real world like example that you could walk us through of, of what all this looks like? Liz, I got you. <laughs> um, since 2014, Missouri has had one clinic. That lack of access means that almost half of the abortions done in Kansas are Missourians who had to travel there. Kansas only has four clinics and currently the wait for an appointment can be up to six weeks. So when Roe is gutted, they'll have the overflow from Oklahoma and Arkansas and Mississippi and Alabama, and people will have to try further and further in all kinds of directions across several states. And that is for the people who can afford it, right? Like that's what you want to do with your that's vacation time? That's the huge piece, Moji. Abortion travel, it's largely out of the reach of most pregnant people. Most of us just don't have the opportunity, the opportunity to just drop what we're doing and go get medical care in another state. And while clinics are doing what they can, we really need people to have care in their communities. That's what abortion access is, not just being able to go to a handful of spaces. We need this accessibility available to folks in their home states and their hometowns without barriers. That's right. And, you know, these barriers are, we're talking about abortion, but access to care and barriers uh, is across our medical community. You know, reproductive health in all its forms it has horrible berries and profoundly affects black and brown folks. And our guest today is out with an incredible study to talk about the disparities in healthcare. And so I'm gonna turn it over to Moji and our guest. I am so excited to talk to the senior research scientists at IBIS Reproductive Health. And they just released a report on black women's health outcomes in North Carolina and Georgia. Please welcome Terri Ann Thompson. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hi, thank you so much thank for joining us. Thank you so us. much. <laughs> it's my pleasure, really. I we was were... uh, joking that this is my, I'm a first time caller, but long time admirer. So <laughs> we love to hear it. 
Um, the Trust Black Women study was a truly collaborative research project. Can you tell mm -hmm. me about the partners on this process and how the research was done? Absolutely. So the Trust Black Women study is a collaboration between Sister Song and Ibis Reproductive Health. Um, and we, from the very beginning, recognized that the best way to do this kind of work, the best and most authentic way to do this kind of work, would be to actually have researchers and community um, leaders working together on every facet of the research process. That means from uh, the, the question to garnering the funds to do the work, to designing the study, collecting the data, uh, interpreting the data, and then disseminating those findings. And so joining our efforts, Sister Song and, and Ibis Reproductive Health, was a fantastic um, research board that consisted of Black women leaders in both North Carolina and Georgia, as well as uh, partner organizations within the Trust Black Women movement. So it was very exciting and very uh, much an honor to be a part of that. And very informative. Um, I read a little bit of it and it really highlights how racism, both structural and individual, impacts Black women's reproductive health care. Um, in, in sort of looking at the data, what were some of the most alarming findings about the disparities in care? Sure. So the two key findings, uh, well, first at the outset, what I should say uh, to the audience is this paper that's highlighted in Health Affairs is really one, one showcase, if you will, of some of the very rich, very expansive data that has come out of the Trust Black Women um, study, which is a qualitative study, which means we were able to do these listening sessions with Black women living in these two states. The key findings from this uh, paper that's focused on racism, racism as a thorough line, if you will, through the reproductive health experience of Black women in the South, are first that racism was experienced across a range of reproductive health um, services. So that's contraception, abortion, maternal care, preventive care, and prenatal care. And the second is that structural and individual racism actually affected three aspects of reproductive care, utilization, experiences, as well as um, access. So I think access, utilization, and experience, those are the three. And so one example, you know, one of the things that's really amazing about um, this article is that Health Affairs as a journal does not actually produce a lot of qualitative work. Um, but qualitative work uh, is what really brings, uh, brings to the fore the Black woman's voice because you get to see and hear the experience through their own words. And this article is full of these stories. And, and one of the examples I can give you is that there's an illustration of individual racism which really focuses on or brings into sharp focus the, the ways in which dismissal or disbelief of a persistent medical issue actually influences utilization of reproductive health care. And so what we heard from Black women in this study is that eventually, you know, you get your, your issue gets dismissed enough, unbelieved enough, that you actually forego going into the medical system um, for an issue. Or you might actually seek out alternatives, which uh, for some included avoiding the hospital system entirely, or you might lean further on your social support networks to help you navigate what is a very sort of traumatic, very adverse environment in which to, to deliver as an example, or in which to you know, get prenatal care as another example. 
Um, hello, I'm Moji. This is Feminist Buzzkills Live, and we are talking with senior research scientist in reproductive health, Terry Ann Thompson, about the Trust Black Women study. Your answer really, really resounded with me because when accessing healthcare, uh, especially when my provider isn't Black, I often brace myself for not being heard by them or for a, poten a potentially negative experience. And I like, I get that. And I, I live in, you know, New York and have a lot of privilege, but it still is something that you kind of brace yourself for. This study uh, discusses critical policies and avenues for change that are essential to make reproductive health care for Black women uh, in the South accessible, safe, and dignified. Can you summarize a few key recommendations for action that the study uncovered? Absolutely, Moji. And I really appreciated you bringing to the fore what we saw, you know, every time we've presented this data, which is that sort of me to uh, me to expression, right, which is, I've had that happen to me too. Like, as we've presented this data, what we've really seen is that the, the findings have resonated across age, across geographic lines, as well as across socioeconomic lines, right? So um, thinking about what you mentioned, Moji, which is this activation, the harms caused by activation of stereotypes, that comes up a lot in our articles and, and it actually presents some ways forward. So when we think about things like mandating cultural competency training, that's one way forward. When we think about putting into to the space measures, quality measures such as discrimination, uh, measures of discrimination that places like the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare can actually use um, to incentivize hospitals to actually do better. Or quite frankly, back to this idea of getting a, a, a clinician or a provider that looks like you, mandating federal funding for programs that actually um, are dedicated to increasing the participation of underrepresented minorities in the in the um, uh, in the medical field. So these are some some policies that you can actually put into place. But beyond that, this is a show about abortion access. We all know that one of the very clear policies that we can put into place because we saw this in our article is actually making sure that we have federally funded, expanding federally funded Medicaid um, programs, as well as actually enact, enacting policies such as the EACH Act. Uh, we've heard all above all talk about it, but we need to restore and require health insurances to actually cover abortion care um, uh, in this country. Um, Terry, and it's been incredible talking to you and we have to wrap, but before we leave, is there any one thing you want to tell people today that could help increase equity for Black women in healthcare, individual things people could do? I, oh my God, there's so much, there is so much. Uh, wow, what a huge question. I think I will probably only uh, focus on one which is back to this idea of the, the weight and the power of our words, right? And so back to this idea of, you know, the activation of stereotypes can really cause harm. And some of this harm has real indelible impacts and, and can really influence the ways in which people engage with healthcare systems and engage with healthcare providers in the immediate and in the long term. And so I really just wanna say for everybody out there, like. Think, think before you speak <laughs> and question, you know, when you think about some of these things that seem natural to you, question yourself, right? Before you actually put that in the space, especially where women of color are concerned. Um, so that's where I will leave us, but there's so much more. And I encourage you to read our paper and stay tuned for more findings coming up from the Trust Black Women study.
Terry Ann, thank you so much. And thank people you. watching, you can find an article, one of the initial articles from the Trust Women Black Study at tinyurl.com slash racism runs through it. And I encourage you to check that out, go to the link and read about it. It's fascinating and really important. <laughs> Thank you, Darian. Coming up, Liz speaks with the hilarious musician and podcaster, Jill Hopkins. But first, the Super Bowl is happening this Sunday. And really, who gives a shit? <laughs> but for those of you on hashtag Team Halftime or hashtag Team Best Commercials, check out these AAF ads that we think would be awesome additions. Hey, Google, where can I get an abortion? Did you mean the Joe Rogan experience? What? No, where can I get an abortion? Everywhere, unless you live in one of 22 states that prohibits abortions based on gestation starting as early as six weeks into pregnancy. Or if you live in one of the 26 states that require a mandatory waiting period. Or if you are a minor, in one of the 38 states that require parental consent from one or more parental guardians. Or if you live in one of the 11 states that have bans on insurance coverage for abortion. Or hey, if Google, you- where is the nearest abortion clinic? The nearest abortion clinic is now 250 miles away. That's impossible. Hey, Google, where is the nearest abortion clinic to me? I heard you the first time. The nearest abortion clinic is now 250 miles away. If interested in making an appointment at an abortion clinic, one should do so soon, as 26 states are poised to make abortion illegal as soon as Roe v. Wade is overturned. Hey Google, just tell me, can I get an abortion, yes or no? Are you wealthy and white? Yes! You'll be fine. Google Home. Even we can't make abortion access easier. If you become pregnant after a rape, 26 states require you buy a special insurance policy to cover an abortion. Someone stands to profit. Hi there! Welcome to Regressive Insurance. Are you here for your rape quote? Yes. Would you like to see if you qualify for the she wasn't asking for it discount? Sure. Great! Where do you live? Gross point. Discount! Turtleneck, discount, modest skirt, discount. Just a few more questions. How many drinks do you have a week? Two to three. Discount. Do you drink alone? Yes. Discount. Do you ever drink with men? Yes. Have you ever accepted a drink from a strange man? Yes. Those last two are gonna cost you. Is there anything I can do? Well, the Washington Post says married women get raped less. So I'll get a husband! Congratulations! Discount! <laughs> Regressive, when the stigma is not enough. Hey everybody, welcome back to Feminist Buzzkills Lives, AKA the Abortion Hype House. My next guest is a Chicago-based musician and an activist who has performed with AAF a few times in our concert series, Do Re Me Too, sexist songs reclaimed by righteous women. Here she is covering the trash song, Man Eater by Hall and & Oates. And we will definitely put a link up to this amazing rendition in our YouTube description. 
Currently, she is cooking up some incredible artist-driven social impact work for the Metro Club in Chicago and is host of the Opus podcast. Please welcome the one and only Jill Hopkins. Hi, friend. We had to bring back you in a bathing suit in a pool. So, Jill, um, I, I had the pleasure meeting you when you were hosting a radio show, WBEZ, and you helped promote our comedy show, which was helping raise awareness around abortion access. You keep saying yes to raise awareness around this issue. Um, one thing that I love about you and one reason that I love to always um, highlight um, people who bring art and activism together is that you get a lot of shit for it. So when people do it, I like to like give people props. So tell me why is it that reproductive health rights and justice is something that you have made a commitment to like be forward on and put your face with? You know, I like to say that my relationship with my reproductive health care provider is one of the longest lasting and healthiest relationships that I've ever had. So I, I just want to make sure that, you know, folks who are artists uh, who are largely uninsured, uh, especially in the United States, uh, you know, know about the resources that are out there for all of us who don't always get the chance to go to a fancy doctor or don't always have a say in, you know, whether or not our providers look like us or, or, or anything like that. I just think that as long as, as we don't have universal health care, and we still expect artists to work for whatever we pay them, that it's it's really important to kind of make sure that those two worlds know about each other. And so yeah. here I am and trying to bridge that's that gap. Awesome. And I think for people with uteruses too, like I think a lot of folks don't understand that um, be, being able to get pap smears, a lot of folks are using gynecologists as their primary care doctors because you can get a lot done like in that, um, in that cavity search, if you will. Um, <laughs> But, but, you know, you, you have a career that I just love people who, um, you know, you're a musician, you're a writer, you're, I'm going to call you, I don't know if you identify as a comedian, but I, I identify you as a comedian, um, just somebody who yeah. is funny. Um, and you're also a podcaster. And now you've taken on this new role at the Metro, which is one of the I live in Minneapolis half the year and Brooklyn half the year. And so my fans are always like, I compare the Metro to First Avenue a lot. You know, it's one of those mm -hmm. premier clubs that um, launches the career of people and that people go back to time and time again. And one of the reasons I'm so glad you're on this week is that in a week that we have spent watching people weigh in on um, white supremacy on Spotify and how they feel about it, um, to have you doing really great culture work at the Metro is really important. I would love for you to talk about what what it is you're doing at the Metro and, and what kind of programming you're going to be throwing into the mix there. Sure. It's a new position, which is very exciting to me to kind of step into previously unoccupied shoes. Um, so I'm breaking those in. They have a, a sky high heel. I think they're very cute. <laughs> but so we're going to be doing a lot of, of programming here, uh, a lot of uh, virtual programming here that we didn't have before, and a lot of in real life stuff that uh, we're calling it civic engagement, civic events. So we're located, the club itself is located, uh, if you're familiar with Chicago, uh, we're about a block away from Wrigley Field. 
on the north side of Chicago, which does this neighborhood does not have the best reputation for inclusivity or, uh, you know, just kind of, they call the ballpark the friendly confines, but, you know. <laughs> so our, our job here is to be this oasis in this kind of jock world to make sure that women, people of color, folks from any sort of marginalized group will be uh, welcome and free to be as themselves as they would like. So what I'm doing is taking that kind of ethos that Joe Shanahan and the rest of the team here at the Metro has and uh, making, making content for folks who may or may not be comfortable going out to a big sold out rock show quite yet, but also to remind folks that we are here and that live music and live entertainment is for everybody. Everyone should get the chance to go out and see themselves represented on stage. Everyone should get the chance to go dancing in a room full of topless twinks if they want and not have to like think about the rest of the world. Um, so we're just making sure that everyone feels welcome, everyone feels comfortable, and everyone feels represented uh, in real life and online. I think that is awesome. And like, we have to already go, but I really wanted folks to know the Metro is doing this reset, that it's a place for folks to come and that inclusivity is being prioritized and that you are somebody who is making it happen. Um, Jill, where can people find the Opus podcast and uh, tell them where they can find you? Hey, the Opus podcast is on consequence.net. Uh, Consequence is a is a great media hub for uh, all sorts of cultural criticism, and I'm working on the Sly and the Family Stone season right now, so we're getting real funky with it on the Opus. And if you find yourself in Chicago, visit us at MetroChicago.com and come see a show. Tell them Jill Hopkins sent you. <laughs> That's right, and I promise that um, the second we get back out, I want to come back another do re me too in Chicago. We'll get the whole orchestra back together yeah. and do it. I'm counting on you for that. Thank you, Jill Hopkins. You're always one of our favorites. Mwah. Take care. Thank you. I miss you, Liz. See you soon. I miss you too. Oh my God. Again, check out the Opus Pod and deep dive into um, the Sly. I listened to I listened to one episode of I Love Sly and Family Stone. It is great. Please, please, please um, listen and pay attention to this lovely woman. Support the Metro. Um, that was fun. What a show. We learned a bunch. Hi, guys. Hey. Yes. Hey. You learned a lot. I, um, I know. I don't even know what to say. We had so much happening. Um, I guess, Moj, what was your biggest teachable moment of the show? Oh, 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 it's really easy, actually, and pretty straightforward. Fetuses and corporations are people and nobody else is people. And <laughs> Marie? Not a Citizens United argument like Moji just made, but I would say when you propose a child tax credit for fetuses, but not actually the children, it's really like su suggesting a rousing game of Duck, Duck, Goose with fetuses and not actual children. I feel like that's fair. Um, I guess the other thing that I learned is that... Well, there's two things, and I don't know that I learned it, and mine's not particularly funny, but a good reminder that um, black women um, are never listened to when they go to the doctor and that it's really important to remember that, um, that you must trust black women. I'm ending on that.
Thank you. That is our show. I want to thank Terry Thompson and Jill Hopkins. You can read the Trust Black Women study again at tinyurl slash racism runs through it and catch Jill Hopkins Opus podcast where you get your pod fix. That's right. And coming up next week, we have two awesome guests. The incredible comedy duo Frangela will be joining us. Plus, Arizona has more BS popping than just recounts and Kristen Cinema. And joining us to talk about all the challenges of providing abortion care under the shadow of the both of them is Dr. Deshaun Taylor. Plus, you still have time to join in sending some love to abortion providers during our Valentine's Day Adopt a Clinic Drive. To learn how to adopt a clinic, go to aafront.org resources. And it's Black History Month. So each Friday, we are turning over our social channels to a reproductive justice organization whose work we want you to know about. This Friday, we're featuring In Our Own Voices, a national coalition focused on lifting up the voices of Black women leaders in the national and regional levels in our fight to secure reproductive justice for all. So check out their work tomorrow at the at Abortion Front Socials or at blackrj.org. And remember, support your local feminist buzzkills by liking and subscribing on the Abortion AF YouTube channel and by making a, a donation at aafront.org. And if you miss us live, you can watch this broadcast anytime on YouTube or you can listen to the broadcast in podcast form. This episode drops Sunday, wherever it is you wanna listen to your podcast, except for you know where, and it rhymes with Schmodify. And finally, today we leave you with a twofer of whole ass showers. And for that, we apologize. Enjoy your weekend. You can't get Advil or ibuprofen in a elementary, junior high, or high school, Tim, without parental consent. You can't go on a field trip. Right. Without parental consent unless and a signed document. Unless it's to the abortion center. Yeah, yeah. Right. you can take a field yeah, trip to the abortion center yeah. to kill your parents' grandson right. without parental consent. And not just that, but the, the high priests of secular progressivism will coach schools on how to ensure that parents don't find out. Feminist Buzzkills Live is a production of Abortion Access Front. Subscribe to our YouTube at aafront.org slash fbksub.